Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. I keep hearing a story over and over again that is breaking my heart of women who are recently married, many of whom are either pregnant or have just welcomed the new baby into their lives into their home and as they're celebrating this new life this new baby still in the bliss of being newlyweds it comes out that the husband has pornography addiction we're going to talk about how to address that what needs to take place how to restore that marriage and bring hope and healing we'll also talk about a interesting topic in the parent world somewhat controversial some people don't care and don't get why it's a big deal But the question or the topic is, why do you or do you not allow sleepovers? Have you put much thought into it before for your kids? Well, there are, I think, a lot of interesting insights to discuss. Joining me in just a little bit will be Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored, who works to help restore the crisis of sexual integrity in our culture, especially dealing with the wounds and the fallout of pornography in particular, We'll talk about that as well as the struggle that many newlyweds are having with pornography addiction. And at the end of the day, that also means spousal spouses experiencing severe uh, trauma, experiencing spousal experience of spousal abandonment, experience of uh, spousal neglect, but also just being completely led astray. We're going to continue our Theology of the Body series today, and we're going to really start moving quicker in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, introducing new key concepts, especially getting to that theology of gift, understanding what is at the core of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. You're listening to Trending with Timur. I did want to touch on some frustrating news in the reality of our fallen nature. I read a headline earlier today that said... Retired bishops in retired bishop in New York gets married after a bid to leave the priesthood was denied. Whew, that's a heavy topic. I started to dive into this particular story and it's a mess. It is heartbreaking. And I'll just start by saying I want to confront this story and I hope you don't shy away from it because our peers, whether Catholic or not, some leave the church over issues such as these. And some outside of the church are scandalized by them. And I've seen it many times before. People, sometimes the older generations within the Catholic Church, say priests are flawless, they're perfect. Almost a sense of worship of priests, which is very wrong. We should have respect toward priests, but there should be accountability. And so it's frustrating news because I'm frustrated at the fact that there are a lot of people who will deny it, not want to talk about it, avoid it, or leave the church. And I would arguably say in many respects because of that response. Rather than coming forward and saying, yes, people are very flawed, but the church and the church's teaching and the sacraments are perfect. The church is not a person, although it is represented by sinful individuals. And this should be a moment to call out our own responsibility to properly live out our Catholic faith. So 
This takes us to the East Coast in New York, specifically the diocese there in New York of Albany. So there is a priest who is now 84 years old. He's a retired bishop. And of course, and I say this of course because this is just how disgusting and tragic it is yet again. There are accusations of sexual abuse. He is currently facing seven civil lawsuits against him. He retired in 2014 at the time and even now acknowledging that he covered up allegations of sexual abuse by priests who were under his jurisdiction. Now, he, in the meantime, denies all of these accusations that are made against him. He currently has seven civil lawsuits against him. So he's been retired or pushed into retirement since 2014. That's a whole other topic. But here's what's occurred. As these seven lawsuits continue, uh, he actually ended up petitioning to the Vatican to be removed from the priesthood, to be, quote, laicized. To be laicized means to have it declared by the church that you are not a priest. And this is really sad because as if you if you look at the story, he wanted to be returned to the lay state. It ended up coming out because he wanted to get married. So when the Vatican said, no, we aren't going to laicize you for multiple reasons, some of which including the fact that there are seven lawsuits against him with regard to sexual misconduct, well, this is when he decided and he announced this bishop from Albany, New York, who's retired, that he came out and announced this past Tuesday that he was recently married in July to a woman in a civil ceremony. So, in the courts, not in the church. Now, it's been made very clear by the current bishop of the Albany Diocese that this bishop is not married in the Catholic Church. So, why is all of this significant? All of this is significant because... It sheds light on a real crisis and I think sorrow within the church. If you are someone who has been sexually abused, this is barbaric. This is horrific. Any priest, religious, or anyone who isn't a priest or religious who has participated in sexual abuse, it it damages people. It is traumatizing. It's something people carry with them for the rest of their lives. And I'm so sorry, especially if you've been abused at the hands of someone representing the Catholic faith. With that said, as I'm looking at this particular man's story, he comes out announcing that he's quote-unquote married at the age of 84. He is still a bishop in the eyes of the Catholic Church. And by the way, the New York Diocese is just really struggling right now. They are currently there in Albany facing bankruptcy. They filed for bankruptcy over the last year because of the ongoing sexual abuse cases that continue to come up. Some going back to decades ago, not just recent. So what is significant about this story to me? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think we should avoid it as Catholics. I think we should take the story head on, mourn it, mourn the victims of, the, of sexual abuse, be sorrowful over the abandonment to celibacy and chastity by our priests and religious and bishops. But also look at this from the perspective as well of a Catholic bishop who takes a vow to celibacy has now gotten married in the courts when the Vatican wouldn't release him from his priestly responsibilities. He says he wanted to be released because he couldn't practice his priesthood publicly. But this points to how we still have a responsibility, even in the face of accusations, whether true or false, to still stay faithful to ourselves and to our commitment.
And him, quote-unquote, getting married, that is in the eyes of not the church, but in the courts, he's trying to step around this commitment, this lifelong commitment he made because he couldn't be married in the church. He can't participate in a sacramental marriage. His marriage cannot be blessed by the church. I think the big takeaways on this is we need to understand that what happened here was scandalous in every sense of the matter, from the sexual abuse cover-up to the potential actual sexual abuse of this bishop, retired bishop in New York, to the civil union that took place that isn't a sacramental marriage. It's disheartening. But what I think it should challenge us to is that we are all called to live the virtue of chastity in all states of life, not just when things are easy, not when things are tough either. You know, and I say not just when things are tough, that we see that God is calling us through the thick and the thin, through the good moments and the bad moments to stay faithful to the commitments and the state in life we're in. This is why when people who are married enter into the sacrament of matrimony, they make vows, we make vows to be faithful in good times and in bad, richer or poor, sickness and in health. Well, look at the commitment of a priest, the sacrament that a priest enters into. He is called to be faithful to his sacrament, to his priesthood, to his vow of celibacy in good times and in bad. And this is what's so disheartening is that I think today when we talk about chastity, there tend to be excuses about how difficult it is, how difficult it is in the 21st century. Some people might even say, oh, well, he was expected to be celibate his whole life. Here comes his sexuality coming out now. Well, sexuality is always a part of the human person. However, that doesn't mean that we don't have free will and that we can't exercise it. We are called as people, as human beings, to live virtuously. That freedom is for the sake of choosing the good so that we can choose to love others. Not just when things are easy, but especially when things are tough, especially for this bishop. Perhaps he is innocent. He claims, in the case of these seven lawsuits against him, that he is innocent. But he did cover up sexual abuse while he was a priest, while he was a bishop for other priests. This is where, again, we could avoid the topic, we could be totally despairing and leave the church, or we could acknowledge the faultiness of the human person and how we too have a responsibility to fight to live out our state and life of chastity. If you're married, being faithful to your spouse. If you're single, being faithful to your vocation as a single person. All of that includes everything from sex outside of marriage to chastity with regard to a pornog pornography, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. People often ask me about you know, who should and shouldn't become a priest with regard to sexuality and sexual attraction. And here's the bottom line. If you cannot be chased before you become a priest, it's going to be difficult to be chased while you're a priest. If you cannot practice the virtue of chastity before you get married, you're going to have a difficult time practicing the virtue of chastity while you are married. We are called to live virtuous lives, and this is why our formation as human beings, our formation to the excellence we are called to engage in with regard to virtue by the grace of God is so important. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 tells us, let what you say be simple, yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
This is a play on the same words, let your yes be yes and your no mean no. What is your commitment to sexual integrity, to fidelity, to your vocation? How do you strive for virtue? Do we stray from fidelity to the church, to our prayer life, or when things get difficult, or when we're falsely accused, or do we stay the course, dive deeper into our faith, even if things are difficult, sorrowful, if we've been falsely accused, if we've been alienated, if we're depressed, if we're lonely? I think of the example of Cardinal George Pell, if you follow the story in Australia just over the last couple of years. He, it came out in legal proceedings, was falsely accused of sexual misconduct with minors. He ended up being completely exonerated, if you didn't know this, but he was imprisoned for over a year, including over a year in solitary confinement. Now, his story is a story of fidelity to the church, fidelity to a prayer life, fighting in the face of false accusations, of being removed from practicing his priesthood, and truly, He only lived a little longer after this entire situation of being in solitary confinement occurred. He died just this over the last six months or so. And so what's significant is this reminds me of the challenge that the church has always faced, that individuals in the church will always face. I think the New Testament, how it's full of suffering and the call to virtue and how virtue is what builds us for the kingdom of heaven. I think of St. Peter and his writing of 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you to prove you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. St. Peter's encouraging us to persevere in the face of whatever suffering we may experience, whether true or false, whether we're accused because we are Christian or not, that it is part of the Christian life to suffer, sometimes to be even accused falsely, but to always conduct ourselves, and he says to always suffer as a Christian. Let Christ not be ashamed, he says, but under that name, let him glorify God. You're listening to Trending with Timur here on Relevant Radio. Joining me today on Trending is Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored. And Jim, I want to dive into an important topic. You work every day with people who are struggling with sexual addiction, especially pornography addiction and betrayal trauma. And I was written to a couple times, as well as having been shared recently, a couple of stories of newlyweds, women reaching out whose husbands have recently come out with a pornography addiction. I want to share with you Isabel's story who just wrote me. She said, I found out my husband has been watching porn throughout our entire relationship. When we first began dating, this topic came up and he had told me that he hadn't watched porn in a year. Now he's admitted that he was lying. We have even been married for a year now and we are pregnant and he's been hiding this addiction from me and lying to me our whole marriage. She said, I'm beyond her and lost as to what to do. Should I still love him? And he has been a great husband otherwise. He's going to he's going to be an amazing father as well. However, I don't know how to get past this right now, and I'm asking for advice and prayers. Jim, welcome to Trending. Can you help us work through this situation? Isabella and many other young couples, especially women, find themselves in. Well, Timory, thanks for having me on as always. And, you know, I, I just listened to you read this, and, and my heart broke. Because this poor woman, she's been devastated. 
And she is suffering from betrayal trauma. And it doesn't matter if you're married 50 years or married less than a year. Betrayal is betrayal. And that's what's happened to her. So the first advice I would give to her is she's got to reach out. She's got to get some help. There's counselors out there that specialize in this. Uh, we have an online program called Bloom for Catholic Women that we've talked about before on the show. And um, that's an educational program and a community forum for women run by one of your other guests, Sister Tina Alfieri. And that can be really, really helpful for her in beginning her recovery. Now, the one thing that brings me a lot of hope is that I've seen marriages recover from this, thousands of marriages. She says she still loves him. He's a great husband otherwise, and he's going to be an amazing father. There is great hope for this couple. Um, hopefully, we know Isabella wants help. We don't know about the husband. I'm praying and hoping that he's open to getting help as well because his addiction didn't happen overnight. His recovery won't happen overnight either. Mm -hmm. But if the two of them do the hard work, their marriage can flourish and be better than ever, Timory. You and I have talked to couples where that's happened. Yes, it's true. It's true. And she's taking the first step. She's taking the first step of reaching out for help for herself and also turning to the grace-filled intervention of God. Because again, with God, all things are possible. And my heart breaks again for this entire situation, especially having recently had two children, being in those earlier years of marriage still, that's such a great level of insecurity and fear to have when pregnant, to know that this is going on in your marriage and with your hus mm. husband. And so from that perspective of just working through your own pregnancy and all the additional emotions and exhaustion that comes with that, trying to find that peace and calm of mind and body while working through this because it is a traumatizing event and i know as women when we're pregnant you know that trauma and that fear that anxiety and stress can get to our bodies and our babies and you know always things come up i think when you're pregnant and so working to be very peace-filled and calling maybe even your husband into helping to create that safe environment for you to be able to continue to grow that baby, I think is a really important part of this conversation. And Jim, I find a lot of men rise to the occasion when they're called to this responsibility to protect, and that's what he needs to do. He needs to protect her and the baby in this situation, which requires that he get professional help. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Um, the, great point, Timory. The, the first step in recovery the first step for any addiction, doesn't matter, pornography, alcohol, drugs, is admitting you're powerless and you need help. So this gentleman, that's where he needs to be. He needs to make that admission. I am powerless against this. I need help. And then he needs to reach out to his, his priest, his confessor, uh, a local therapist, and, and we can help him here at Integrity Restored. Send us a note, info at Integrity Restored, and ask for a referral. We'll put you in touch with a counselor that can help you. Um, go online, 
look for local either SATP certified therapist, which is sexual addiction treatment provider, or CSAT, which is a CSAT therapist, certified sexual addiction treatment provider. Uh, those two qualifications make that person uniquely prepared to deal with sexual and pornography addiction. Use resources like the CPA, Catholic Psychology Association, um, the website catholicpsych.com. There's a ton of resources out there. He just has to take that first step of the admission and then the reaching out for help. And he can recover. Um, sounds like they're probably a fairly young couple. Um, a lot of couples I deal with today have been married 35, 40, 50 years. And this has finally raised its ugly head for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. and I'm Healing going to is yeah, still possible. Ahead. Yes. And you've seen it. You've seen it years into an addiction. And we've seen it in cases in a shorter addiction, even if this is something that's gone on for years through childhood. I'm just going to reiterate some of those resources you mentioned because resources here are key. You know, praise God, God works miracles. And I know sometimes we just want to pray something away. And I'm not saying not to pray. I'm saying to literally steep yourself in prayer, but also to use these resources. Some of them, which are very, very accessible in terms of cost, no cost. Um, we're talking about Bloom for Catholic Women, for women who've experienced a betrayal trauma, such as sexual addiction and pornography. That's a Bloom B-L-O-O-M for CatholicWomen.com. I'm posting a link in the episode notes as well as on social media. Follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E -M -M -E -E, on Facebook and Twitter to grab that. Also, you mentioned, Jim, CatholicPsychotherapy.org is a great resource, a whole network. I spent their conference with them just a couple months ago talking to all these Catholic psychotherapists who are working, many of whom specializing and sexual addiction and pornography, and they are so full of hope. It's just that people need to reach out and get that hope. So catholicpsychotherapy.org, also catholictherapist.com. We're throwing a lot of resources out there. But finally, Jim, I do want to give a plug for your website, integrityrestored.com. How can your work be of help to people who are struggling with sexual addiction such as these? I know I passed information on to Isabella when I was talking to her earlier. If you could share a little bit about some of those coaching programs that you have available for men such as her husband. Sure. Um, we have a ton of free resources, Timory, on our website, like you said, integrityrestored.com. Uh, everything from ebooks to blog posts, uh, and, and all kinds of topics from the the person who is struggling to the spouse. If you're a parent, uh, if you're clergy, how do you deal with this as a priest or a deacon? So we have a ton of resources. And then we have our Integrity Circle Coaching Program. And that's a 26-session program, which runs about 30 minutes a session, uh, 15 minutes of a teaching, 15 minutes of a Q&A, and then a quick little three to five question assessment. And what a lot of couples are doing uh, is using that as a date night. So once a week for the next 26 weeks, hubby brings home, you know, a Subway sandwich for dinner, a beautiful bouquet of flowers for his wife, and they sit down for 30 minutes, they watch the content together, 
And then they talk about it for 30 minutes. And then they put it away till the next week. But what that does is it takes this problem out of the darkness and brings it into the light. And it gives us in the relationship a common understanding of what's happening. What's happening in his brain and body, what's happening in her brain and body. Because the addiction is one part, the betrayal trauma is another part. And there's mm. both certain things that need to happen for them to recover. Mm-hmm. The, the three pillars of Integrity Restored, as you know, Timory, are strong science, counseling, and therapy, an increase in the spiritual life, frequent reception of the sacraments, and spiritual direction, and finally, community and accountability, because we can't do it alone. Amen. Amen. So those are your key resources. That's your step to success in terms of overcoming pornography addiction, implementing sound faith, spiritual direction, the sacraments, and sound psychological counseling. It's very scientific and evidence-based. IntegrityRestored.org is, or IntegrityRestored.com is Jim O'Day's website. We've posted all these links from Catholic psychotherapists to Bloom for Catholic Women on my social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've also tagged Integrity Restored as well. I'll be right back to talk about a controversial topic Have you allowed or would you allow your kids, if you had any, to have sleepovers? Why or why not? So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome to Trending. I was recently browsing the internet and I came across a fascinating reel online. It's on TikTok, on Instagram, and it was why this dad doesn't do sleepovers. He has a podcast known as The Mandate Podcast. His name is Matt Brown. He and with a number of other people participate in really nothing being off the table in terms of conversations. And he had a fascinating take on sleepovers. Now, sleepovers Thank God we're not in those tricky waters yet because I think it's silly to just have my two-year-old sleep over anywhere. That's just my take. I know we've actually already been criticized for this, which is interesting uh, from family. But I do find it fascinating because I don't think some people really think about sleepovers. And I will say firsthand, I've seen over and over again many of my peer set who have shared countless times about very harmful things that have occurred in a sleepover setting, many of whom don't come out sharing about it or even processing it till years later. So I want you to listen to this and I'd be open to hearing your take on sleepovers. And maybe you disagree with this or maybe this is eye-opening and even startling. But I want you to listen to this little bit of audio bit by Matt Brown on the Mandate podcast about how he didn't allow his daughter to have a sleepover until she was 18. Listen to this. A poor girl, she was never allowed sleepovers. I was like, you're not allowed to sleep at anyone's house. And she would hiss and fight with us, especially her mom. Like, man, my 
story is not their story like don't you trust me and say no darling we trust you i just don't know who's out there and your friends may have awesome parents but i don't know who's going through their door so my job is to keep you safe you know until you're 18 and you become independent and do what you want to do sweet but until then you're stuck here your friends can come have sleepovers here you know of us talking to their parents but no sleepovers she hated that she absolutely hated that and i would say to her you know if your one trauma in life is mom and dad were strict then i'm happy with that like i'm happy to have that anyways she turned 18 and i said what do you want to do for your birthday darling and she said sleepover i was like oh who's coming over she's like no no i'm going to sleep at my friends i was like oh freak so she had a sleepover she rings us late at night crying emotional and i said what's wrong like Something wrong, I'll come pick you up. She goes, No, I just want to say thank you to your mum for protecting me because she's sitting around in a circle with her friends, her closest friends, five of them, and they were all shocked like they couldn't believe that this was Oceana's first sleepover. She tells them why because my dad's story, he's very protective. Mum and dad work in the sector of you know domestic violence and abuse, blah blah blah. All her friends start crying and they said, We wish our parents protected us like your parents. And she's like, What do you mean? But like, we've all been abused. All the girls, one by one, opened up how they were all touched. And it wasn't stranger danger. It was a family member. It was a friend of the house. Wow, did you hear that? This is a testimony that I think more people need to hear uh, for the hope and healing for many young people who have not come out unscathed from what I will argue is part of the radical, sexualized feminist and sexual revolution. And I say feminist because feminism's all about no consequences. It's all about contraception and abortion to erase the evidence. It's all about a culture of silence in many respects. And if you disagree with me, well, we could have that conversation another day. But joining me now is Jim O'Day, the executive director of Integrity Restored. He helps with picking up the mess, the broken pieces with people who have sexual addiction, sexual trauma, especially related to pornography. And what was interesting to me, Jim, about this is that Matt Brown from the Mandate podcast is saying, hey, you know, not your story. That is, he was told by his daughter, you know, your story isn't everyone's story. He and his wife work in the realm of sexual abuse and abuse. And so, you know, you might say, okay, this is someone who's being extra cautious. Jim, you might be someone who's considered extra cautious. I might be because I work with and hear a lot of this information. But what came out in the story, I think, was startling for those who might argue that that this young woman at 18 years old has her first sleepover she shares it's her first sleepover and all five of her closest girlfriends share that they've all been sexually assaulted and how they wish that their parents had kept them safe i'd like to hear your initial thoughts and just the reality of this entire situation today well very much like matt uh, even so i've been doing this work for eight years now but my kids are older uh so even well before I started doing this work, much like Matt, my kids were not allowed to sleep in anybody else's house. Uh, if they wanted to have a sleepover and people came to our house, that was okay. Um, but I didn't even love that, to be honest with you. I allowed it, but I didn't love it. And I, I will agree. tell you, in the eight years I'm doing this work, um, sleepovers should be avoided at all costs. Sleepovers are one of the most common times for early exposure to pornography in the United States because all these kids have phones. All it takes is one of them in the group to have discovered something or been exposed to it themselves by somebody, an older sibling, somebody else in the neighborhood. They share these things at sleepovers. The second thing that commonly happens at sleepovers is sexual experimentation. 
And the fastest growing category of child sexual abuse in the United States is child on child sexual abuse. No one talks about it. No one. No one talks about it. The kids don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. The parents feel this incredible stigma and shame and guilt, so they don't talk about it. And the police departments legally can't talk about it because these are minors. Why would you put your child in that position? My role as dad is to protect that child. Period. End of story. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was always a rule. No sleepovers. Now, why was that such a hard and fast rule for me? Well, because when I was growing up, my house was the sleepover house, Timory. We drank, hmm. we found cigarettes and smoked cigarettes. We found pornography and looked at pornography. Hmm. And then when my mom would go to sleep, we'd invite girls over. There you go. <laughs> I knew what happened at sleepovers because I did them. Hmm. So for my kids, I said, no, that's not happening. Were they mad at me? Yes. Did we have a lot of arguments? Yes. Was I the meanest guy in the world? Yes. Did I not understand anything? Absolutely. I was accused of that all the time. Well, you don't understand, Dad. No. (laughs) The problem is I I understand all too well. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's interesting, Jim, as you're bringing this up, because I think that there's a lot of animosity over this topic. I was even talking to someone just a couple months ago and completely unrelated. We were talking about someone they knew and they were making fun of this man and how he was so strict with his kids growing up. Jeez, he didn't even allow sleepovers. And I immediately jumped on that. And I said, well, what makes him such a bad person for not allowing sleepovers for his kids? And I started sharing some of this data, the most common sexual abuse, his family member on family member. And because they were related to this person and they're like, oh, well, you're not in this family. I said, okay, you can say that, but that's exactly how this happens. And my response, Jim, is why do we have to have sleepovers? We have this culture of sleepovers. Why can't we just sleep at home and sleep when we should be sleeping and let your social time be your social time and give your children the freedom to not have that level of risk? And grant, abuse can occur during daytime hours. Abuse can occur when you're not paying attention at someone else's home. But I think that this whole topic of sleepovers is one that has just gone very ignored for many years. And it almost as if like the super protective, overly strict parent is the only person that doesn't allow sleepovers today. Yeah, I think that trend needs to change. And obviously kids are coming out saying, I wish my parents were more strict. I wish my Mm. parents protected me in this way. Yeah, amen to that, right? Absolutely. And, and the, and the sad part of it is the girls that Matt mentioned, and, and it's not just girls, things happen to boys at sleepovers too. So, um, the, but the girls that Matt mentioned, they're the norm Mm -hmm. who they've, whether it's an adult, an older child, or just the messing around that can happen behind closed doors at two o'clock in the morning or midnight 
It's just not healthy for a child. Why would you put them in that position, right? As dads, we go around every night. I'm sure your husband does the same thing. I make sure every door's locked before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. It's what I do. Because then I can rest. So why would you let your children outside of that bubble of protection? There's no reason for it. And I was reading through some of the comments uh, on that video, and and they were all over the place. To sleepovers were the best thing that ever happened to me. To oh my gosh, same thing happened to me when I was a kid. The best comment I think I saw. Great advice for parents: if your kids are really pushing for a sleepover, let's say they're getting to their preteen years and they want to stay up late with their friends and they don't want to have to be home at eight o'clock. Well, host an event at your house that goes on till 10 o'clock at night. That's your late night event, kids. Right. That's it. That's a great idea. Invite the other parents to come. Let the kids have a good time. The other parents can, you know, have some snacks and talk and get to know each other. And then at 10 o'clock, everybody leaves. I thought that was a fantastic idea because sleeping time is sleeping time in your safe space. Mm-hmm. And I love something you said a long time ago, Jim, when we were talking about similar topics. And you said, blame me, blame the parent. You know, if your kid's trying to navigate this, they're worried about the social ramifications, they're embarrassed to say something, you know, you don't want to say something like, oh, I would just prefer to sleep at home. If there's ever something that makes you feel uncomfortable, use your parent as an out. Say, sorry, dad doesn't let me sleep over places. Sorry, my parents are super strict. It completely takes all of the social pressure off of you. And I thought that was really great because teens are under immense social pressure today. Not just teens, but even middle school kids and younger. And so taking that blame, allowing the hate to be directed at the parent or the blame is a great way to help that kid work through this as well. Uh, both, both my kids, I'm sure their friends thought I was the biggest jerk, right? <laughs> but both my kids constantly and they would laugh about it when they came home oh we blamed you dad no problem that's good thank you good choice that gave them freedom to can you talk not... a little go ahead sorry go ahead no well can you talk a little bit about for the parents because i think sometimes parents have a hard time they want to be cool they want to be liked they don't want the animus and the rift between them and the kids especially the teenagers can you speak to navigating that feeling, that emotion and frustration on the part of the parent? <laughs> wow, <hear> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's, a, there's a great quote, and I wanted to get it right. I'm going to screw it up. But it's an old quote. Um, it talks about you would rather see your child cry for a minute than your mother cry. For 20 years yes and the meaning of the quote is your kid may be upset with you for a little while but if something happens to you your mom me we're going to be devastated mm. because that happened on our watch mm-hmm. our job it's 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 a weird thing that's going on today i don't know if it's social media i don't know what it is you can have a great relationship with your kid 
that doesn't mean you need to act like their best friend. You need to act like their mom or their dad. And that's a responsibility. And those boundaries that you put in place are to protect the child, not to punish the child. And so we always have to remember that, that I don't know what it is, social media, our own insecurities. Why do we feel like our kids' friends have to love us too? They don't. Mm. We're Joey's point. parent. Yeah. We're not Joey's friend's friends. Mm-hmm. And I think it points, Jim, to the need of parents, you know, before you become parents, as your parents, to put your emotions in check. If you need to do some healing, do some healing. Because I hear a lot of emotive parenting. And I think that's the challenge is, you know, even just looking at I have a two-year-old and a six-month-old or seven-month-old now, and I don't feel like waking up at night. It's often awful lately. I feel like being grumpy during the day because of how little sleep I've received. But that doesn't mean I allow feelings and even a bodily experience of exhaustion to overcome how I behave. And I think, yet you take it Fast forward to 13-year-old, 15-year-old, sometimes it's easy for parents to care too much about how their kids feel toward them and how we feel in response. And I have this book that I was recently given as a Mother's Day gift. It's Mother Love, a Manual for Christian Mothers. And it talks about, it's not just prayers, but it's also very old, written about one to 200 years ago, Manual for Moms on Really being aware of your state in life, being taking control of your emotions, having them in check and how important that is before you have a child. And I thought that was significant because I think it's something many parents struggle with today, Jim. Hmm. No, no question about it. And, and I do blame, I mean, again, I hate to harp on social media all the time, but as parents, we watch social media and we see all these people putting up these experiences and it looks like everybody's having a great time and everybody else's family is perfect and there's no discontent, and it's a lie. A lot of those images that we're seeing and we're believing is how everybody else's life looks, is three minutes out of a 24-hour day that the rest of the day has been a complete disaster. Mm. Yeah, the social media front. Right. Jim, you work with Integrity Restored, and I'll just touch on, I know this might evoke a lot of frustration and need for healing for a lot of people. This is a part of the crisis of sexual abuse and even some of the connection to same-sex attraction, the struggle. So we want to talk about resources, catholictherapist.com, integritystored.com as well. We posted all these links in the episode notes. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. If you're struggling with sexual addiction and pornography as well, check out integritystored.com. That's integritystored.com, where Jim O'Day is the executive director. I'll be right back here on Trending and diving into our series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
We're back to our series on Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Here, the pace starts to pick up in his work. He's been setting the backdrop, as we've been discussing, with all of these prior to the fall states, original innocence, original nakedness. And we've been talking about original nakedness, which will dive us into the spousal meaning of the body and what Pope St. John Paul II refers to as the hermeneutic of the gift. Understanding that everything we've received is a gift. But tying this together, we're in the 13 of the general audience, in number 13 of his general audiences. This section is titled Intimacy, the Hidden Meaning of Vision. Understanding that what is understood on a physiological, biological, material level points to something so much more significant in the state of Adam and Eve in the garden prior to the fall. And that we need to understand this state of original innocence in that perspective, especially as we've been talking about the peace and comfort in the state of original nakedness and how significant that is for understanding there was a need, a need for affirmation from another human being, for understanding someone as being able to take advantage or be taken advantage of. We talked about shame yesterday and much of what Pope St. John Paul II says about shame. But here we talk about how the mystery of creation, as Pope St. John Paul II signifies, is part of understanding the original good of the divine vision. That is the original good of the divine vision of God for us, but also of the vision, the understanding, the, the deeper vision that's not just a visual, but the understanding of us, of one for another, of our own bodies, of the body of another. Pope St. John Paul II talks about how in seeing each other through the very mystery of creation that is prior to the fall, the man and woman see each other still more fully and clearly than through the sense of sight itself because they have a faith-filled perspective. They have the perspective with God first, not just themselves. And so with this, he says, through the eyes of the body, they see and know each other. In fact, with the peace of the what he calls the interior gaze. He says shame carries with it specific limitations of vision because shame comes into play only after the fall. And so here he starts to refer to not just the original meaning of nakedness, but the original meaning of the spousal meaning of the body, understanding that the complementarity of male and female physiologically, materially, signifies something so much more in the spousal meaning, the sacrament of marriage, that it points to what Pope St. John Paul II discusses as the hermeneutic of the gift. What does hermeneutics mean? Hermeneutics points to an interpretation and understanding of something. And so what he's pointing at is at the core of his theology of the body, understanding, interpreting human anthropology, the creation of Adam and Eve, the creation of Eve before Adam as a gift. This is the only way to function and understand our very lives. He refers to this as the consciousness of the meaning of our own bodies. And I'll kind of fast forward for a moment because in Theology of the Body, we'll get to the coming of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the resurrection of Christ. I want to fast forward for a moment because I think it's significant that we understand the spousal meaning of the body, understanding that everything we've received is a gift. All of creation 
is a radical gift given to us. All of creation was created for the human being. The visible world has been created for Adam and Eve, for you and I. This is how we have proper ordering and understanding with regard to how we use the world around us as a tool, as something to enjoy, not to be destructive, but also not to overemphasize as well. And Pope St. John Paul II points to how this hermeneutic of gift, this understanding, this self-interpretation of ourselves, the world around us, and our relationship, how it all begins with understanding that in Genesis chapter 1, God created us in his image and likeness. The very first gift we received was the image of God within ourselves. And this is our launching point. This is our point of departure. And this is why understanding the original state of Adam and Eve in the garden is significant for understanding our history. Because it's not just of, oh, that's how things were prior to the fall. No, that's how God intended us to understand ourselves. And this is why he wrote, for example, sacred scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Holy Spirit being the author of sacred scripture, for us to not just understand our lives from the state of the fall on, but to understand that history prior to the fall that is our human anthropology. And so if we start to begin to understand this dimension of the gift that God has given us, I'm fast forwarding for a moment to understand how this is seen and understood from the perspective of Jesus Christ. Understanding it even simply from the perspective of the cross. When I think of Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body, in summation of all of it, I always think of the great gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. That he gave himself for us both human and divine, making that sacrificial gift that is bloody, bruised, and beaten, giving everything he has received from the Father back to the Father for us, giving us salvation, giving us redemption, that the gates of heaven are open again, and that we, through the church, through our participation in the grace and life of God, we can live with him forever. And so when we look at the cross, when we make the sign of the cross, we're making the symbol of the gift of self that Jesus Christ showed. Our very lives are made to be a gift too. We're made for life-giving, self-giving love that is transformative in our prayer life, that's transformative in whatever state in life you may be in as a single person, married, engaged, as a priest, a religious, understanding that everything I have is a gift, my very breath is a gift, and that all of that at the end of the day is meant to be given back to God. That is Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body, and what is meant to be understood and unpacked in every vocation of life, in every human action. And I challenge you to take this to prayer, to start with understanding how significant the gift of your life is of being made in God's image and likeness. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. How is AI impacting the baby craze to have babies? We'll talk about that Thursday on Trending and also dive into two big celebrity divorces this summer, Sofia Vergara and Ariana Grande. 
What can be learned about it? Everything from not wanting kids, infidelity, to prenups, and much more. So join me Thursday for our weekly marriage hour at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.